Welcome to The Writer's Edge, a podcast exploring writing across the disciplines from the arts to the sciences and everything in between. We're coming to you from Sharpening Number 2 in the NSU Writing Communication Center on the fourth floor of the Alvin Sherman Library in Davie, Florida. So hi, I'm Eric Mason, one of the hosts of The Writer's Edge and a faculty coordinator here at the WCC, the Writing and Communication Center. Hi, I'm Eric Mason, one of the hosts of The Writer's Edge and a faculty coordinator here at the WCC. Today we're talking to the advisor and student members of NSU's Model United Nations team which is an, quote, academic simulation of the world's only international organization dedicated to international peace, security, and development. And today we have team members Alexis, Kiara, and Paula, as well as Dr. Nelson Bass from the Department of Humanities and Politics. So welcome and thank you for talking with us. So first, can you please just introduce yourselves and give us some insight into your role here at NSU and on the Model UN team? Hi, Dr. Mason. Uh, my name is Nelson Bass. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Humanities and Politics in the Halmos College of Arts and Sciences. I teach a wide range of classes in political science. And I guess the reason for being here today is I'm the faculty advisor for the NOVA International Relations Association, which serves as our model United Nations team. Excellent. Thank you for being here. Uh, how about Paula? Hi, everybody. Dr. Mason, thank you so much for having us here. My name is Paula. My major is international studies, and I have a minor in international law as well as global engagement. And at NSU, I'm also part of the Racist Edge Global Scholar. So I do a lot of work with the international community. And my role for next year is that I'll be the president for the Model UN academic team. Excellent. Welcome. How about uh, Kiara? Hello, thank you so much for having us here again. I'm going to be a rising senior in August. I'm a political science major. I'm also receiving a minor in honors disciplinary studies. And I'm an admissions ambassador on campus, as well as I'm president of Pi Sigma Alpha, which is a national political science honor society. And then my role for next year for the Model UN team will be president. Welcome. And Alexis. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Dr. Mason, for having us. My name is Alexis. I'm a junior double majoring in political science and psychology. I also have double minors in philosophy and English. And my role for next year will be the position paper editor. So I'm just working on papers that we submit to conferences. You've talked about your roles around campus. Here at the Writer's Edge, we're out of the Writing and Communication Center. I just wonder if Do any of you consider yourself or just identify with the term writer? Is there a a different term that you're like, I'm going to be a diplomat? Like, what is that term that you identify with in terms of communication? I think for me, like I came into Model UN and right off the bat, I told Dr. Bass, my dream is to be a diplomat. And even though I think writing is like a really good tool that you need, I think that most importantly, I think my stronghold would be more in communication and getting people together and getting consensus. And I think that's where I stand out is more like caucusing and debating and making sure that people are on the same page. Interesting. Anyone else identify or not with the term writer? Maybe Alexis wants to chime in as a writer, since she is now in charge of our position papers. 
Yeah, I'm actually completely opposite. I love writing the papers that we submit to conferences. I love editing papers during caucusing if we're writing resolutions. I like going back in and adding fancier terminology or nicer words. I've kind of just always enjoyed the art of writing. I have conversation and I enjoy it during Model UN, but I find myself always being like in the corner with a group of writers hamming out a paper more often than not. And I teach writing, and I wouldn't say I love writing either, so that's that's perfectly fine. Just a toot on Lexis Horn. I know she's done an amazing job writing. I think this year she even went to a conference in Washington, D.C., where she actually got to present her research paper that she worked with, with Dr. Edwards. So I think she's a really good person to be our head for the position papers. So, Dr. Bass, for those not familiar with what a Model UN group is or does, can you just give us a quick explanation? Sure. So, uh, Model United Nations is an academic team. Technically, if you consider its precursor, it's been around for uh, like over 100 years now. If you consider that there were Model League of Nations competitions going on before the United Nations was formally ratified. But I think uh, the first one starts post-World War II, Swarthmore College. Uh, Essentially, you have students that show up and they act as delegates of a member state of the United Nations. And that is a really important point because they don't show up at these model United Nations conferences as Alexis, an American role-playing Mexico. She is being judged on her ability to act in the way that Mexico would when debating pressing global issues. So the goal is to get young people interested in this idea of working in the gray areas. Most of us tend to think the place we live is great and the politics our country has are well understood and rational. Uh, But the reality is you've got 193 countries in this world trying to come up with ways to solve things that affect us all. And so it's, it's meant to get students into the mindset of stepping outside of themselves and thinking about where are the areas where we can cooperate, right? And on what issues can we cooperate and what ways can we cooperate? And so in in many ways, I think it's a valuable skill for students of any major, right? No matter what discipline or or sort of industry you end up in, you're going to have to find a way to work with people who might have different goals, but there's always usually some sort of shared goals. And so basically that's what Model UN is. It, It teaches students how to research and understand the economy, politics, and culture of a given country, and then moreover, go out and represent that country in front of other delegates, right? And, and so really it's about immersing yourself into the country you've been assigned, writing a position paper which outlines what your positions are on the issues under discussion, and then going in and negotiating and speaking in front of others and trying to bring other delegates to your side, right? At the end of the day, what your goal is, the goal of the UN is always consensus, right? Now, it rarely gets there, but the dream behind the United Nations is that at the end of the day, there will be consensus. All countries, or at least a majority of countries, can get behind idea X, Y, or Z, uh, and it's really about getting there, right? For those of you that are familiar with law school, the book they always tell you to read is Getting to Maybe. Model UN's a lot like that. It's getting to maybe. And in doing it via the written word, speeches, and caucusing uh, with your fellow delegates in the hallways and in all the breaks. And I believe you started the group here at NSU. Had you been involved before then, or was that all new to you when you started the group? Very funny, actually. My first year here, political science was a completely new major. We had zero majors. They started it the fall I came in. 
And I had a really great group of about five young people, all of whom are doing amazing things now. And I happened to mention in a class that I did model United Nations when I was an undergraduate at Appalachian State University. And it was a lot of fun. We got to travel. We went to Chicago and New York and Atlanta. We were a good close-knit group of friends. And I just happened to mention it to him in passing. And literally like a week later, those five students were like, we want to do this. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm brand new here. And so I went to my department chair at the time. And in any ways, within a few months, we had started a team. Uh, and we called it the Nova International Relations Association, uh, mainly because at Appalachian State, our team was called the International Relations Association. So I was, I guess I wasn't the most creative. And so we started out by uh, traveling to Charlotte following year. We started hosting our own high school conferences. I believe the first high school conference we hosted had something like, I don't know, 15 or 20 students from like two schools that, that showed up. But my motivation for doing so was I had a lot of fun doing it. I felt like I got something out of it. One of the things everybody struggles with is being okay with getting up and speaking in front of a crowd, right? But that's something you're going to need in most industries and most careers. This idea of forcing students to go out and pick a country that they might not know anything about and then immerse themselves in it so that they're able to articulate a rational, logical reason for why that country might want X, Y, and Z when it comes to climate change or nuclear proliferation. Those are all really valuable tools, right? So I totally based it on the fact that I had fun doing this. I always tell the students to this day when we go to conferences, I want you to do well. I'd love to win some awards, but really this is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a, a learning exercise disguised by fun, I suppose you could say. And you know, that, that first group was really special to me. Those students, uh, there were five of them, two of them now have PhDs, and the others all have at least a master's degree. All of them are doing very well. And, you know, it wasn't just me. It was, it was those five students. So That sounds great. And that student motivation, it's great to hear when students want to get involved in something that is so valuable to them professionally, academically. I guess for the students here, what attracted you to the idea of participating in this group? So for me, I competed in debate in high school, and when I came to NOVA, I was kind of looking for a similar extracurricular, and my first year, I ended up being on the mock trial team, but then later on, I noticed it wasn't really the same kind of debate that I was looking for, and it wasn't the same kind of research either. One of my favorite things to do is research just in general, whether that be reading or conducting research on my own. And I actually didn't know about Model UN until I saw that it was a class. So then I took the class, and then I realized that was the exact same kind of debate that I was looking to re-engage myself in. And it forced me to put myself in a place where I consistently had to be doing research. And it kind of reminded me that the reason that I became a political science major was, like Dr. Bass was saying, we don't really know a lot about other nations, and we don't really take the time to learn about them either. So being in a position where I was kind of forced to do that, I think was incredibly beneficial. I can imagine that that would be a good connection between something like debate and the Model UN. Although I admit, I'm not quite sure what happens at these events. Like, I'm trying to imagine them. And I've seen, you know, a good number of clips of the actual UN operating. But even there, I'm not sure we always have access to what's going on, the whole thing. So it's interesting to hear the kind of background skills. Like, how much research is really involved? And, and when you say research, like, what does that really mean? So when you say how much research is involved, 
there's really no number. Like I've done research on the airplane, I've done research just sitting in the floor of the hallway, like all the time you are doing research because every time someone says a new idea, you're like, how can I develop it? But the main thing, like when you first get your nation state assignment, the first thing that you have to do is just start looking at the prompt that is giving and then start your position paper right away because as you write your position paper you'll get more ideas and that's pretty much how you do your research a lot of people like to print articles and highlight important things but most importantly you want to look at what is the problem what is your country's stance so like their political views what would they say yes to what would they absolutely say no to and then look at your solutions so we are looking at step-by-step -step solutions and then just write down different ways of how it's done it. Um, Alexis might talk a little bit more about this, you know, on how to actually write a draft. But you are looking at preempts, so things that the UN has already done, and then imperatives, which is what you want to do, innovative ideas. Another way to research is to really get to know your country. In the United Nations, you don't call it your country, you call it nation state or a member state. But what I did is I make sure to find people from that nation state and talk to them and say like, what's the culture in this country? What would you guys say yes to? Because when you are at these conferences, you wanna speak like you were actually from that country and just really take in that character. That sounds like quite a challenge. And I actually saw a very old picture, maybe I'll ask Dr. Basquiat later, but I saw an old picture of the group where one of the students was holding a card that said, NPR, you know, Korea, like North Korea. And I assume some countries have to be more challenging than others to understand or research or just get their take on a specific issue. That's absolutely the case. You have limited control over the country you get assigned. And a lot of it has to do sometimes with how active your team has been, how well they're known at this conference. But the first time we ever went to a conference back in, I guess it was 2011 or 2012, we got Iraq, which is interesting because at the time Iraq had a barely functioning government. And so the students are literally like, how do we know what Iraq's stance is on these issues when you have multiple political leaders articulating different visions and a very weak government? So depending on the country assignment you get, it can be very difficult to figure out exactly what the country's stance is on any given issue. So once you do all this research, right, you sort of understand, try to figure out what are the positions that are active in that nation state. What actually happens at a Model UN event, all these people coming together having done all this research? For Model UN conferences, they usually last about like two and a half days, I would say. And there's a lot of sessions. So the conference is broken up into about five sessions or it could be more, it could be less. And so you arrive to the conference, you kind of get to see all the nation states, the member states that are being represented by fellow delegates. Um, you meet your chairs who are overseeing the entire conference. And then from there, you kind of just get straight into caucusing. And there usually are two topics that are assigned beforehand. So that's where we do our research on our country and their views and their standpoints regarding each of the issues. And then from there, you kind of decide what issue you would like to talk about first. So from there, that would involve a lot of caucusing with other fellow delegates and just being able to express what issue is more important to your country in that moment. And then with that, you then kind of just go into procedures, which mean you could either do a moderated caucus where it's more like a formal debate, 
where you are discussing in front of the room of delegates your viewpoints, your country's viewpoints on the issue, or you can decide to go into an unmoderated caucus where you and other fellow delegates will have about 20, 30 minutes, depending on what time is chosen, to discuss with other delegates. And you all get in groups and just see like your allies, who you want to work with, and that's where you start to come up with your resolution papers to the issue. Or we just go into speakers list where just one delegate from each member state is kind of discussing any topics that correlate with the issue. So yeah, essentially, it's just that for a span of two and a half days where you're discussing with other delegates, then the chairs are kind of overseeing how you are discussing with other delegates and how how you're doing in the speakers list. So it's a lot of formal debate and just meeting other delegates and kind of really assuming the role of your your country. I don't know what you knew the first time you went to one of these events, like how much you knew about what would happen, but is there anything that kind of surprised you about how they're run or that you really can't understand or you kind of learn once you get there? I would say what was really surprising to me regarding Model UN, because I didn't do much research beforehand joining the class, I just knew I really wanted to join it as I really enjoyed the purpose of the UN. But what I found really surprising was how much the delegates have a say regarding sessions. I think I assumed more that the chairs will be the ones directing how procedures will be run. So I was really surprised to see how much the delegates individually have a say. It's a very democratic process of choosing what procedure we would like to go into. So that definitely was something very surprising to learn about Model UN. As Professor Bass was saying earlier, it's very much a learning experience, being placed into an environment where you have to kind of think on your feet sometimes, switch up your thought process regarding your country. So it's a big learning experience because it's just able to fill in so many different aspects of formal speaking, leadership, teamwork, working with other students who you have never met before and then assuming the role of your country and trying to not be in the mindset of like, what would you do personally? You'd have to think more, what would my country do and the government there? So it's a, it's a very big learning experience and definitely um, recommend it for any student wanting to join for sure. Just to add on to what Kiara said, something that's very important is that you never use the word I. You always use yourself as the country. So you say Colombia stands for or Russia stands for. And you always speak as you were the country. I think that was really interesting for me to come in because it's a different way and a different perspective of looking at things. That it's not you as an individual anymore, but it's you representing an entire country and all the different ideologies uh, from that country. So I thought that was really interesting. Another thing that was crazy is just the different verbiage that people use. So, for example, somebody will stand up and say, Columbia motions for a 645 on mod on the topic of. So just coming in, you wouldn't know what that is. You know, the time 645, 930. It all depends, like, how many speakers can speak first and then how many seconds you can speak for. So that was very intimidating, like, knowing, oh, I only have 30 seconds to speak. That's crazy how I'm going to get my ideas through. But towards the end and practice and everything, you realize that that's more than enough time. 
To what degree do you kind of stay in character? Like, has anyone ever spoke in the regional language and expected everything to be translated for people as they you know, may do at the UN? I don't know if they would have the ability to do that at the Model UN events, but is there any way in which people really just get performative even? I know some assemblies are very performative in the way that they do politics in a way that might feel a bit strange to people. I guess my question is just really about that being in character. Like, how does that sort of get embodied? How does that happen? I've definitely seen a lot of people take on the role of their country with an accent. I've never seen anyone come in speaking the native language. I will say the extent of taking on the role of a delegate or a representative from a country goes so far as the committee room itself. Like Kiara mentioned earlier, this is a two and a half day event. And one of those days is a 13 hour day. The night before we finish at like 10 p.m. And then everyone's up at 7 a.m. the next day. And that's regardless of if people were up halfway through the night until two in the morning, still doing prep and research. So it's a lot of lost sleep. There's a lot of tiredness going around. So once people are out of the committee rooms, a lot of just like general friendships that exist outside of Model UN and exist outside of being Russia or Turkey or Colombia or being any country, they happen and they form in between our unmoderated sessions when we're just talking, writing papers and spreading ideas. Friendships kind of form as just like regular people. So outside of the committee room, I would say people act more as themselves rather than their country. But then as soon as you go back into the committee room, everyone is pretty much on par with their country. I will say I've noticed the last two conferences that we went to, the final day of the conference, even the chairs are a little bit less formal. And I mean that in the sense of just like, people are more willing to have fun and go a little bit past boundaries of what is typical in the UN. For example, the last conference that we went to, my committee, the chairs were assigning our country blocks, Taylor Swift era tours names instead of just like, blocks for countries. So towards the last day, people have kind of like already formulated these friendships and are just ready to have fun, whether it be as a delegate or just as a person. Just to follow up on that, Alexis is absolutely right. The key thing to being in character is, you know, it's, it's in character and it's done in a very specific way. So I think there's six official languages at the United Nations, but obviously here in the United States, Canada, we're using English. Uh, delegates are supposed to wear what's classified as Western business attire. And all of this is meant, I suppose, to avoid students either intentionally or accidentally caricaturing other cultures, right? So there is a line there of representation that is excellent and cheeky and maybe you have an accent, but they do draw the line at when it comes to what you're wearing and things like that, right? Because they want to make sure that the students are sensitive to other cultures, right? And in fairness, we've never had an issue with this. But at these UN conferences, they do keep an eye out to make sure that you are representing your country with respect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'll like to add on to that when we're talking like dress code. For example, for the Southern Regional Model UN conferences, they don't allow for delegates to wear like actual flags from their country because they see that more as nationalism. And in the UN, we are looking more for togetherness everybody working together as one. So you're only allowed to wear like either an SDGs pin, like the Sustainable Development Goals pin with the different colors, or you wear the actual UN logo. Even just a little thing as a pin, it really represents that you're not there 
to be nationalistic on one certain country, but you're there more as member states, all together like part of one international organization to work together and like Dr. Bass said before, come to a maybe on issues. All these ways that the model UN functions like seems to be valuing the real spirit of the UN. Is there any way in which the model UN does a better job than the UN living up to these ideals? I don't know like how bad this is going to sound, but I feel like model UN more gets done than the UN. And I say that because I think students that come from several different schools and don't know each other are all kind of coming in. We're provided this background guide that tells us what scope we're going to be talking about this problem in. And everyone comes in with that same knowledge and understanding, but also their own research and ideas to add to it. And I think there's a greater intent of collaborative effort among a student population then when you go to the real UN, there's real consequences of that collaborative effort and real consequences of what decisions might be made. Whereas not to say there's no real consequence or type of learning that's happening in model UN, but the resolutions that we write aren't about to be passed and go into effect for an entire globe. So I think the consequential nature of student UN and then the real UN definitely makes a difference in how people want to collaborate. You know, I've noticed China and the United States forming blocks in every committee that I've been in. That would probably never happen in the real UN. They would never want to collaborate just because the nation's ideals are so different. But the collaborative nature for students is very different than what you would see in the UN as a whole. I mean, does the model UN have the permanent members of the Security Council who can just veto everything from the model UN? There is a security council, but it acts as a separate committee, per se, in these conferences. So I've never seen any way where they come in and like veto something that another committee is doing at the same time. Right. So the way it works is it mirrors the actual UN and that you have these different committees and security council is usually one. So if you're on that security council and you're not one of the what we call the P5 or the veto powers, then they can veto you. But if you're on General Assembly or Human Rights Commission, there's no veto powers there. Now that makes sense, but it also shows why there might be a focus on problem solving when you don't have to worry that your solution will just get vetoed right away. I think that's absolutely the case. And just to add on one more thing that I think is worth saying as an old person on this podcast, um, I think young people are actually more concerned about solving some of these problems. I mean, when we go to these conferences now, we're talking about things that are going to dramatically affect the globe, climate change, nuclear proliferation, things like that. And I think these young people actually are interested in solving them. And I think when you get to the actual UN, there might be interest in solving them, but there's always, as Alexis points out, real world consequences. And so I think it's interesting to see some of the resolutions that get passed are actually quite novel and interesting. I think young people realize that maybe we're not leaving them the best world and they want to fix it. If you're there to solve problems, to collaborate, to reach consensus, are there strategies for that kind of communication? How do you set that up? Are there different strategies for the different kinds of texts that you produce as a model UN team even? I think the most important thing in diplomacy is listening. So always let the other delegate speak first. You listen to them, you hear what they have to say, and then you speak. And this is a lot because you don't know the intentions of the other nation state. You don't know. Sometimes they do try to steal ideas for other papers or things like that. So you always want to hear them out first. It makes them feel special. It makes them feel heard. But also it makes sure that you don't say something 
that might be used in other ways. You always want to be very wise with your words, speak less, listen more. And another thing that you want to do for communication is to always bring out the best in other delegates. So if you see that two different nation states are having an argument, you always want to look on what do they have in common, how can they compromise. And that's one of the most important things is being able to work together, compromise, and also be empathetic. Yeah, I would have to agree with everything Paula mentioned just because being part of a model UN team, you have to assert these roles because you're not only trying to make sure your point is mentioned and that your perspective regarding your nation state is said, you really have to assume the role of listening to other delegates, having the ability to work with one another. Um, you know, sometimes we might not get along with certain member states, but being able to have that compassion and just being able to be like one team and just realize that the issues that need to be discussed. So having that role of being empathetic and listening to other delegates, but also being on a role where you're able to state your stance on the certain issue, kind of going into the different kinds of texts that we have to produce. There is a lot of research, a lot of writing involved with being on the Model UN team. We first are given a background guide on both of the issues and we then have to go and write a position paper from that member state. And that's where all of the research with regarding like GDP, the economic standpoint, the government, the economy. So a lot of different standpoints. So you have to write the position paper about like a month before you go into conference. And then from there, you are able to write an opening statement. So it's like the first little speech that you're able to say in front of all the delegates in conference. And then more of the text being written is in committee. So from there, you write a draft resolution. So that is where all member states that are going to be sponsoring a paper will write down like the policies they want to implement, the changes they want to have able to be um, stated within this draft resolution. And then you would send that off depending on which conferences. Sometimes, for example, this past conference we attended, all of the chairs provided edits to our draft resolution papers. So we were then able to re-edit, kind of rewrite some things that they would prefer to have within the draft resolution. And then from there, it would go into voting procedures to then be voted to see if the resolution will get passed. So there's a lot of different roles and techniques and strategies that are involved within the conferences that we attend as the Model UN team. Another thing to add on is Sometimes you go in as a single delegate, but a lot of the times you're actually a double delegate. And so what's really cool about this opportunity is that not both delegates have to be in the room at the same time. So you could have one delegate that's very strong in writing to be actually writing drafts and working papers. And then the other delegate can be in the conference room debating and giving speeches. And so that actually makes like such a great team because it's really hard to do both at the same time. And it's totally doable. Some people actually prefer to be more on like the lone wolf side. But I think working together and looking at what you're stronger at will make it overall better. These are all great points. The other thing to consider is when it comes to the types of texts that we produce, there's different types, as Kiara points out, but it's really important. One of them, the position paper, you have time, you can edit, you can go do all the research in the world. For the writing that comes out during the conference, what you hope will become a resolution, 
starts out as what's called a working paper, you're actually not allowed to bring in pre-written drafts. Most every conference forbids that. So you're also not only working with sort of the research, uh, well-written, pre-done writing, but also the thinking on your feet, working with others, coming up with something novel and new from scratch. So I think those are two different types of writing, but they sort of complement each other. I think it was Paolo who said something, used the word steal, like someone you know, takes something and use it. And I know the, the goal is consensus, but is this in some ways a competition or you know, how are things assessed? So it is in many ways a competition, right? It's an interesting competition because it's not first, second, and third, winner take all, but you are being judged. And the goal is obviously, hopefully, to bring home some acclaim to Nova Southeastern. And so essentially the the delegates are being assessed on a couple of different things. Their position papers, which I, I think we mentioned are turned in early. Those are graded and scored usually depending on the conference, sometimes with a significant amount of feedback, sometime with more of a rubric overall score. Those are one set of awards. So they'll give those out, position paper awards. Uh, The other awards are generally what we call delegation awards, which means that the chairs who are running each of the individual committees are in charge of assessing how the different member states are doing. And so to be fair, it's somewhat subjective, but they're basing that on, okay, who is speaking and what are they saying? And when they are speaking, does it sound like they're staying in character? They're saying what their member state would actually say on this. They're keeping an eye during those unmoderated caucuses to see if Kiara is working with member states that she would typically work with, right? I mean, if the chair looks out and sees that the United States and North Korea are off to the side and they're best friends, that might not be in character. So at the end of the conference, then we have the award ceremony and there's basically three levels of awards. There's honorable delegations, distinguished delegations, and then the highest award is outstanding delegations. And they use a math formula Essentially, I think the last conference we went to maybe gave out a grand total of three or four outstanding delegations. Maybe they gave out six distinguished and maybe eight or ten honorable. Uh, And so the way to win an award, the way to do well is to stay in character and be engaged, right? And so the chairs are usually really good too. They'll also often give feedback. So if at the end of the conference, you can go up to them and ask, what could I do to do better? They oftentimes have a lot of feedback for you in that regard. There is at the very highest level, which we can't afford, (laughs) but there is a national conference every year in New York that I would love to go to, but it's very expensive. And out of that conference, they actually do have a national ranking. FIU made big news when I was a graduate student there because I think they were ranked number one for a year on the national rankings. But uh, that's like a week-long conference. It costs thousands of dollars. And so we haven't quite gotten there yet, but we have done very well. If you come up to our department suite on the second floor of the Mailman Hollywood building, there's about 40 or 50 awards on our walls out there that we've won over the last 10 years. So to add on to my verbiage of steal, maybe that was a little harsh. I would take maybe assimilate, you know, personalize. Uh, One of the most important things when you try to win an award is that you want to be recognized. Both Kiara and I can assert to this because we've been both delegates and also co-chairs. And I've also have some friends that have been chairs. And what they told me is that they're looking for who's more active and who's like actually saying their ideas. So for example, you always want to be the first person Person to say your idea and fully develop it throughout the entire conferences. So when you give out your idea to someone else without creating a friendship or a bond that you're actually going to work together, they might actually try to steal that idea from you and then just assimilate it as their own. And so to the chair, that's going to sound more like it was their idea. And you want to just 
bring out your idea, you know, straight out the bat and then work with other countries and be like, yeah, we're doing this together. That's another thing is that when you do submit to the chair, you submit several working papers and sometimes they're very similar. And so they're going to at the end, they're going to have to cut one of the working papers. And so that's another thing with like giving ideas to people that are not working with you is that they might just use that exact exact verbiage on their paper and then your paper might be cut because it's just the exact same as the other paper. Yeah, you want credit where credit is due and it is possible to steal ideas in that sense. We've heard a, a little bit about this from each of you, but just give you another chance to state like overall just what is the value to you as a student, as a person interested in international relations and government and diplomacy, like what's really the value to you of being a part of this team? I would say, first off, being part of the Model UN team this past year, it truly is a family. We get to travel together and also just be part of this experience, this learning experience. But I would say going to these conferences, I feel like there's a lot of hard work, determination, and just being able to kind of grow in public speaking and just with teamwork and working with other delegates. I think Model UN is a great way to fill all of those different roles. Yeah, just highly value just being part of it. It's a team where we can travel together, but also gain so much experience. I know personally for myself, the UN is somewhere I'd like to be, you know, career-wise and kind of just work my way up to regarding politics. So kind of being able to already have my foot in the door regarding what it's like and the procedures and different committees that I was being a part of. Definitely, I'm going to take that throughout the rest of my career. So definitely being part of this team is an amazing experience and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Just being able to grow in these different aspects in my life, but also use it for my career, my major, just being able to get to see different delegates and just seeing the bond that forms between all of us and a commonality that we all want to like be that change. So it's amazing to see that change being implemented now and then kind of like gear us up for what has to come in the future. So Definitely, I would say the Model Young team's like a family, and I definitely value this experience and just being able to be a part of it. I would say that the most valuable thing is learning. For me, it's not really as much as competition, because just like Kiara, I would like to be in the UN for real seas, like you would say. So for me, it's more like it's all a practice. It's all like a boot camp. And so every time I want to make sure that I learn from other people, you always want to go into conference and you can spot out who the strongest delegates are. And you want to make sure that you partner with them, that you learn from them, because it's actually those delegates that in the years ahead are going to become chairs. And so you want to like learn from people that are older than you. I think I'm the only freshman in this past year's class. So what I did is I just tried to soak in as much information from the people that are older than me and wiser than me. And that's mostly what I value the most is just learning from other people's wisdom, you know, trial, error, failures. I just tried to soak it all in. And another thing that's actually really good is the professional networking that you get at these events. Obviously, everybody should have a LinkedIn, but you get to connect with people that later on become probably really important political figures. I've connected with people that, you know, already have jobs set up for when they graduate or people that are going into the Peace Corps. And so it creates a really good professional networking. And in the future, you could be like, hey, we did Model UN together. You already have that spark. And that actually is really good when you go into the professional field.
I would say for me, I completely agree with Kiara. Most of my best friends are in Model UN, actually. And it's nice to see when you go to these conferences that you run into a friendly face and you can catch up with them, see how school is going for them halfway across the country, see what they're doing to make a difference in their communities. It's not only like super cool to see what they're doing, but it's also really inspiring to be like, wow, this person that I know is doing this thing that's making a difference in their community. I can go ahead and do that with some of my friends in Model UN. And then I think just like the value of Model UN in general, I kind of look at research a different way. When I do research, all of these issues that we talk about affect real people that are outside of any political figure or political atmosphere. There's regular civilians and citizens that are affected by decisions that the UN makes every day. And my end goal is to be a civil liberties attorney. So when I look at research, I look at all of it from a human rights aspect. And I was actually lucky enough to be on the Human Rights Council when we did Sermon in Atlanta. And taking that perspective and seeing how countries not only have human rights issues, but how they address them or don't address them, or what solutions work and don't work. It's kind of all this practical thing that I get to look at and evaluate and see where in the future I would be able to make a difference, where I would want to be practicing law to see where I can make the most difference from a legal perspective. So I look at it all like on a political research standpoint, but I also take it to that next level to be able to have the opportunity of evaluating human rights and civil liberties under that scope. It sounds like there's just a lot of aspects to the program that let you really get a lot out of it. So how can interested students learn more or just get involved in NSU's Model UN team? Do you have to be a student in a certain major? It doesn't sound like it, but is there any requirements or other avenues for just becoming a part of this? So the way students can get involved, they can definitely do some background. So if they kind of just look up NSU Model UN team or NSU NERA, the Model UN team is featured a lot on our Instagram page, NSU underscore DHP. And they can see kind of what we do as a team, but also the best way to get involved is to join the class that Dr. Bass offers on Mondays every fall semester, I believe in the evenings. And so throughout the class, you'll learn how to write a position paper, different skills that you need to, to go to these conferences. And then the class itself will then go to FMIN, which is a conference in Florida. And Gainesville is like a training conference, so you don't have to have any specific skills you're learning as you go there. So are other delegates that are attending that conference. But yeah, you don't have to be any specific major. You essentially, don't have to know anything about the UN and still join because it's definitely a great learning experience that you'll learn throughout that class throughout the semester, but also going to the training conference as well. And then I'll pass it on to Professor Bass regarding the high school conference and everything that goes with it. Thanks, Kiara. Yeah, so we have, I think this year was our 10th annual NOVA International Relations Association Model United Nations Conference, which we fortunately turned into the acronym NIRAMUN. And that is where we invite local high school model United Nations teams to campus for a one-day event. This last year, we had it in the fabulous new Levon Center. We had almost 200 students from I want to say eight or nine local high schools. The entire thing is run by our students, by our Model UN team. So if there are any high school students or counselors out there interested, send me an email, nbass.nova.edu, and I will get you on the mailing list. It's an excellent opportunity. It's supposed to be a training conference. Uh, we usually host it in the fall so that local high school students can get one conference in and learn sort of the ins and outs before they head off to you know Washington, D.C. or New York with their schools in the spring. Excellent. So I don't know if anyone has any final thoughts. 
For me, the final thought would be that Model UN is not just for political science majors. We have had executive board members who are biology majors and criminal justice majors. And I think one of the things that's important about it is, as some of the students mentioned, that you're going to make some really good friends along the way and you're going to learn some skills that are really valuable, public speaking or writing, or just, again, learning how to get along with people who might have different goals in mind. Uh, And I just can't understate how much you're going to need those no matter what you end up doing. And so I think it's, it's really valuable. It's open to students of any major. The only requirement is you take and pass polls 2400 Model United Nations in the fall. But that is a fun class. And as Kiara points out, you even get to go to Gainesville to compete as part of the class. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been really great listening to this. And I hope students hear this and say, yeah, that is something I want to do. And it sounds like a really great opportunity. Good luck in your next year of class and competitions. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. We thank you all for tuning in to this episode of The Writer's Edge, and we hope you tune in next time. You can submit your own podcast to be featured on ours, and you can even submit your own stories about the Writing Center or any questions that you may have. If you'd like more information about the Writing Center itself, visit our website at nova.edu forward slash WCC. You can also reach out to us at WCC at nova.edu or 954-262-4644. Thank you again for tuning into the Writer's Edge, and we'll be back on your airwaves real soon.